Hey, everyday people, so good to be with you today. I hope that you are all well. It's uh, Father's Day, and uh, I really do hope that uh, all the dads will be blessed today and that you will have a great time with your families. Well, Arno has asked me to jump in on your Luke series, and uh, it's a great delight and joy for me to bring you the Word of God today. Today, we're actually going to be looking at Jesus' baptism as well as his genealogy. Now, the reason we've put these two things together um, is unique in a sense, but in the same way, it is profound. Um, genealogies have taken on some form of new interest in some people's lives. I recently been to someone's home and uh, in the entrance hall of their home was a huge family tree on the wall and you could literally trace their heritage or their ancestry. And there's a rising interest in this kind of thing today, going back to your roots and discovering who's in your family tree. And so for some people, it's a bit of a psychological pickup. Maybe you're feeling a little bit low in your self-esteem and you need to discover some uh, famous person or maybe even some infamous person in your family tree, which uh, maybe you don't want to display on the entrance of your wall. However, family trees are interesting. And when we look at Jesus' family tree, there is some intrigue there too. Now, there's some slight controversy because we only find the genealogies of Jesus in two of the four Gospels. We find it in Matthew and in Luke, and they are similar yet different. You see, Luke's genealogy covers 77 names, and he lists them in uh, 11 lists of seven names, whereas Matthew has 42 names, and he lists them in three lists of 14. And atheists and people like that like to pick out a seeming inconsistency, at least on the surface level, it looks like there is an error in the record of Scripture. However, there is a reasonable and logical explanation for why there are these differences between Matthew and Luke. And the differences are largely because of a different approach to how you would draw out the genealogy. For example, Matthew, in Matthew's account, he traces the ancestry of Jesus forward from Abraham through to Joseph, the father of Jesus. Whereas Luke, for example, moves backwards and he moves from Jesus past Abraham all the way to Adam. And so Matthew traces the genealogy through Joseph's dad, which is Jesus's grandfather. And he's intending to show that Christ is from royal lineage, whereas Luke traces the genealogy through Mary's dad, Jesus's other grandfather. And in so doing, he is showing Jesus's physical descent. And it's for the Gentiles sake that he is doing so. So Matthew is doing it for the sake of the Jews and Luke is writing for the sake of the Gentiles. And so just like everyone else, Jesus also has two grandparents, one being maternal and one being paternal, and everyone has two genealogies like that, which is why we find these differences. Now, the, the, the story here is unique and it's powerful because we're going to learn a bit about who Jesus is, 
And then finally, we're going to learn a little bit about who we are in light of who Jesus is. So let's read some of the text together. It's Luke chapter 3 from verse 21. And uh, we're not going to read all of it, but I'm going to pick out a few verses and I'd encourage you to read the whole text yourself. So from verse 21, we read the following. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Verse 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph. And then the text carries on. For a number of verses, all the way through down to verse 33, the son of, the son of, the son of. And we pick it up again in verse 34, the son of Jacob. These are some names you should recognize. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Rui, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah. The son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And so it's a very detailed, as you could hear, even by skipping out some of the lists, it's very detailed, very specific, and it moves all the way from Jesus right through past all the great patriarchs of the faith down to Adam, and then ends on being the son of God. Now, the ancestry of Jesus is really important because it proves to us that Jesus was not a self-appointed Messiah or some kind of misguided revolutionary. He's not a wannabe magician who draws crowds after him with the Messiah complex. No, no, he's not an isolated prophet. He's not just a good preacher. This man, Jesus Christ, is the culmination of the history of God's people. Everyone, in some form or fashion, is linked to Jesus. Everyone is inseparably connected to Adam and to Jesus. In other words, the fate of everyone hinges on this man's life. And so we're going to answer just briefly three important questions. And the first question is this, why? Why did Jesus get baptized? And uh, there are three reasons why. Firstly, to announce and commence his ministry. You see, Jesus' public ministry is launched here in his baptism. It's interesting, verse 21 is talking all about his baptism and that leads straight into verse 23 which tells us about the beginning of his ministry and so it was only up until after his baptism that Jesus actually launches out in his public ministry the other interesting thing to note is in verse 21 it says now when all the people were baptized now that doesn't mean absolutely everyone in all of the world 
all means all in that vicinity, all in the context of what John's ministry was. And so John's ministry was at its peak, but an important shift is happening here. And John knew about this important shift because at the heart of John's ministry, who gets baptized? Jesus. Jesus comes to John and Jesus gets baptized. And in the moment, John knows that this is his time to hand over to the Lord Jesus. This is the moment that John was anticipating where John would have said earlier, he must increase and I must decrease. It's not just a spiritual saying. It was actually physically, literally, John's ministry was going to decrease so that Jesus could take front and center. And so this moment, his baptism was Jesus' ministry launch. The second reason is that in his baptism, Jesus fully identifies with mankind. You see, Jesus was baptized not for his own sake, but for our sake. Jesus was without sin. Jesus didn't need to identify with the sign of baptism, which is a sign of repentance and faith. So why was he being baptized if he was sinless? The only answer is to identify fully with us. You could phrase the question this way. Why did he even die? And the answer is, well, he died not for his own sin or for his own sake. He died for us. And so Jesus identifies with the very people he's come to save. Jesus stoops down. He, he, in the incarnation, he leaves his throne in heaven. He comes to earth and he is baptized. He receives the sign of baptism as an act of great humility. The lengths to which Jesus will go in order to identify with the people he's come to save the Apostle Paul would say it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so in his baptism, Jesus is fully identifying with the very people he came to save, not for his own sin, but for our sin. And then thirdly, why did Jesus get baptized? Well, very simply, to be an example for those who would follow in his footsteps and be baptized. You see, at the end of Jesus' life and ministry, he would issue the church a command to go into all the nations and preach the gospel and baptize followers. And so Jesus leads by example. He not only tells us what to do, he does it himself. And so we have a supreme example to follow. And when we are baptized, we know that we are following in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior. Now, what I want to do is look at the second question. We've answered the first one. Why? Why did Jesus get baptized? But what happened when he was baptized? Have a look at this in verse 21 and 23. It says, the heavens were opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. You see, at Christ's baptism, something incredible happens. We have the entire unity of the Godhead in view. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit are testifying to God the Son. This is my beloved Son. And so in unmistakable fashion, we have a display of our triune God in the waters of baptism. 
And in this moment, we have an incredible endorsement of the father of his son. Now, the the beauty of the way in which it's written is that in this particular moment, we find this strange wording in verse 23, where it says, Jesus being the son, as was supposed of Joseph, which is a, a little hint at his miraculous birth that he It was a virgin birth. It it, was Joseph involved or wasn't he involved? And in a sense, that leaves a kind of question mark, at least in a Jew's mind, on the identity of Jesus. And with this kind of doubt in view, the father comes and he endorses his son. There is no questioning whether this is the son of God. It, It could be questioned Is he the son of Joseph? But there's no doubt about who he is. He is the Messiah and God the Father and the Holy Spirit bear witness to him being his beloved son. And so we are left with with no doubts in our minds. And so in many ways, this moment is the green light for Jesus. It's the green light for his ministry and it's the green light of empowerment for his ministry through to his death and resurrection. That leads us then to the third and final question. And the third and final question is this, what does Christ's baptism have to do with his genealogy? Why do the why does why does Luke put these two things together in the text for us? You know, the baptism and then leading straight into the genealogy. Why are they knit together like this? And I think that the the link here that Luke is making it becomes clear when we think through what is baptism and what is a genealogy. And we realize that both of them are actually all about identity. Identity. You see, in baptism, you are identifying with Christ. When you become a Christian and you surrender your life to Christ and you go into the waters of baptism, you are literally publicly saying, I have died to my old life. I have a new Lord. I have a new master over my life. And so I'm identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm crucifying my old life. And I'm being raised out of the waters with a new identity. I am testifying that I am a Christian publicly. It's a public witness. And so it's really all about identity. And that goes without saying when we talk about genealogies. We really are trying to identify and trace what is my history? What is my heritage? Who am I? And so those are the big questions. When it comes to identity, we really are trying to discover three things. Who am I? Who are my people? And what is my purpose? You see, identity is all about belonging. It's about belonging, it's about being, and it's about meaning or purpose. And so when we look at water baptism and we look at genealogy being put together here by Luke, it begins to all make sense. We are learning about who Jesus really is and if we are linked to Jesus, who we really are. So let's look at these three identity questions just briefly. The first one is, who am I? And it's a question about being. You see, in this moment, Jesus was being affirmed by the Father, but notice this, prior to any public ministry. This is so critical. 
It was critical for Jesus and it's critical for us. You see, before Jesus ever did anything, before he performed any miracle, any sign, any wonder, any teaching, he gets this word of affirmation from his father. You are my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. And the human heart, your heart, my heart needs this affirmation. We long for, as human beings, we long for approval. A lot of what we do in life, a lot of what we do at work and at home and in play is for human approval. And the only way to be free from a treadmill of tyranny when it comes to seeking the approval of man is to have the approval of our Heavenly Father. To know that before I've done anything, good or bad, I am accepted, I am loved. And we only find this in Christ. It's the only place. You're not going to find it in culture. You're not going to find it in your work. You're not going to find it in your marriage. The only place you're going to find this kind of acceptance is in the gospel, is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus received it himself. His father says, I love you before you've done anything for me. And so I really want to encourage you, church, to discover who you really are in light of what God has done for you, in light of the voice of God over your life. The voice of God over your life is if you come to Christ, you are loved and accepted before you've done anything. Why? Because you are not judged and accepted on the basis of your works, of your performance, but because of Christ's performance. You see, God looks upon you and loves you and accepts you because of what Jesus has done for you. So the second question then is, first one is, who am I? It's the issue of being. The second one is, who are my people? The issue of belonging. And here we see that Jesus, in his baptism, was willing to identify with us. Elsewhere in the scriptures in John, I think it's John 10, it tells us that he laid down his life. It wasn't taken from him. Jesus willingly laid down his life for the church. And in this picture of baptism, Jesus willingly sacrificed, willingly identified with the very people he came to save. He was identifying with them. He, he, he was belonging to that people group. Those human beings, he was identifying with them. So he humbles himself and he takes on the, the, the attitude of a servant, he takes on the likeness of man being found in human form. He humbled himself to obedience. Remember, Jesus didn't need to be baptized. It wasn't for his own sake, but it was for our sake. And so in doing so, he is identifying with the very family, the very people he came to save. Now, we think about this on a horizontal level in terms of just our relationships in life. This is what it means to belong to a family. It's what it means to belong to your physical family. It requires sacrifice. In order to identify with your family, it's not always ups. Sometimes there are downs. And it's in those down moments where you realize where you really belong. And so Jesus was sticking it out with the people he was identifying with through thick and thin, through the ups and downs of being betrayed. 
He would stick it out with his disciples. The disciples would, would, would mouth off things that Jesus would have been embarrassed about them saying. They would, they would leave him. They would deny him. But Jesus stuck with them. He identified with them. They were his people. And he belonged with them. And so he humbled himself and he stuck it out. A very important part of identity. And, and then at a church level, you know, it's not always roses. It's not always, you know, calm seas. Things get stormy and church life can get messy. But hey, God's put you there. These are your people. You belong here. This is part of your corporate identity. You belong to the people of God and it gets messy. So you don't just eject and do your own thing. No, you stick it out because these are your people. And then the third identity question and our last question we're going to be asking is, what is my purpose? So who am I? My being who are my people? A sense of belonging. And then what is my purpose? Meaning. What is the meaning of all of this? What's, what's the deeper meaning of Jesus' baptism? What's the meaning behind his genealogy? Well, let's just think it through again. Matthew's genealogy goes back to Abraham. And we said that the point that Matthew is trying to make here is that he is showing to the Jewish, predominant Jewish audience that... Jesus is from royal lineage. Jesus is a Jew. He's, you could trace his lineage back to Abraham, the father of the Jews. Whereas Luke's genealogy goes past Abraham all the way to Adam. And we know that Luke is writing to a predominantly Gentile audience. And the point that Luke is trying to make is that Jesus is not only related to the Jews, but he's related to all humanity. He goes all the way back to Adam. And so these are two very different purposes, but two very important purposes. Because in the genealogy of Matthew and Luke, we see that Jesus Christ is not just the son of Abraham, but he's the son of Adam. You see, Jesus has a royal line and he belongs to the ethnic people of the Hebrews, but he also belongs to the people of the Gentiles because he's the son of Adam. Jesus has both royal lineage and he is from Adam, the, the, the line of man, wherein all of us are linked, being made in the image of God. And here's the point, you see, if Jesus is the son of man, Adam, that means that in his ministry, he comes to represent where Adam failed. And in that sense, Jesus being linked to Adam, Luke's point is that he's the greater Adam or the second Adam or the last Adam, as Paul would write about. And in saying this to us, what we find is we find hope. This is hope for humanity. This is where we get our meaning and purpose from, is that in Jesus, Jesus overcomes the temptation that Adam failed to overcome in the garden. You see, Adam was placed in the garden to be fruitful and to multiply, to have dominion, to subdue, and to enjoy the kingdom of God. But he failed to do that. And in failing to do that, he was ejected from the garden, exiled. And together with that, he came under a curse. You see, before the curse, work 
in the garden was a blessing and he derived meaning and purpose from his work. But now that he's been exiled, he's going to work by the sweat of his brow and work is going to be hard. And there was curses on Eve as well. You can look them up. The point is this, is that now work is distorted under the fall, fallen world and in the fallen creation. And Jesus comes to restore that. Jesus comes to bring meaning again. Jesus comes to bring purpose back to our lives, not just to the Jewish people, but to all people, because Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the son of Adam and Jesus he, he, he didn't fail when he was tempted. Jesus succeeded when he was tempted. Jesus obeyed when he was tempted. Jesus succeeded where Adam failed. But not only is Jesus the son of man, as we see here in the genealogy, but Jesus is the son of Abraham. You see, not only is Jesus the second Adam, but Jesus is the true Israel. He's the true Israelite. He's the true Hebrew. He's the greater son of of Abraham. You see, Jesus obeys where Israel as a nation failed to obey. You see, just as Israel were called out of Egypt, and when they were called out of Egypt, it was it, they were led out of the Exodus, and they were to cross the Red Sea, and then they would come into the wilderness, and in the wilderness they would journey for 40 years. Why? Because of their disobedience. And what do we find at Jesus' baptism? Well, just prior to his baptism, Luke tells us that he too, Jesus, was called out of Egypt. Out of Egypt, I've called my son, it says in Luke chapter 1. And then we read on and we, we come to his baptism. And Paul tells us that baptism is, is like the Exodus story, that we are called out and we go through the waters just like the people of Israel were called through the waters. And so Jesus, in many ways, is reenacting, he's recapitulating the story of Israel. And so Jesus is called through his baptism and then into the wilderness where he obeys and overcomes the temptation. All of this to say, and I want to land with this, is that all of these three identity questions come together in Jesus. Paul tells us in Galatians 3 verse 29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here's the good news, church. We are children of Abraham through faith in Christ. And if we find our identity in Christ, we find that we are joined to God's redemptive people throughout all of history. In Christ, we are grafted into Israel's story. You have meaning, you have purpose, and your identity is secure because you have a Father who is ordering your steps for all eternity. I pray this is encouraging for you. I pray that you are strengthened by this word, and I pray that you will never forget who you are because if you're in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. You have an identity and you have an inheritance. May God bless you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to everyday people. We thank you, Father, for your truth that has come. And I really pray that you would shape everyday people as a community under your spirit. Deepen them, strengthen them, and use them in your mission to advance the gospel. I ask this blessing upon everyday people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.